So my blood or my pulse was sitting at like 120 beats a minute. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm anxious. I feel like I'm in pain. So I finally went into the emergency room and the emergency room doctor said, oh, I think you have anxiety. So here's some IV fluids, go home, get some sleep. If the pain's back, like later tonight or tomorrow, come back in. So 10 hours later, I had fallen asleep and my Apple watch started alerting me. It's like, hey, you have an elevated heart rate and we're not detecting physical activity. Like, is this okay, right? Like, it's just like vibrating, notifying me of it. Um, And I looked and I realized, my heart rate had gone all the way up to 160 beats a minute while I was asleep. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. I'm the Green Smoothie Girl online. And I want to introduce you to my friend, Charity Demas. Hi, Charity. Hi. So rather than me tell how we know each other, you want to tell it your way? Um, Sure. So growing up, Robin was a friend of my mother's. She taught my mom to teach us to appreciate green smoothies as a kid. I grew up drinking them and they're my favorites. Um, I now give them to my kids, which they actually love. They think they turned them into Super Hulk. Um. And she's just, she's been a great friend for me to talk to about all the adventures I've been over, been in over the last year and a half in a sympathetic ear who has been willing to hear me out and believe me and see the truth in what I have to say. Yeah. So everyone, Charity is a young mom. Um, You lost a baby and you have two other children. Two others, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, and she is vaccine injured and she has been hospitalized now six times since getting her vaccines. So we want to talk to her about that today. Um, so my story is how I know Charity is that I feel like I raised my kids with Charity and her siblings. In fact, one time I went on a trip with her parents, my four children and my husband and I, and, and you were the babysitter because you have six younger siblings. Right? Uh, I have five younger and one older, but I feel oh, like I'm right. older than the older one. Yeah, um, you're you're much more like the older oldest child, and that's why I get confused. You're right. Ethan's older than you. Yes, that's correct. But yeah, I remember that trip. We went to Moab. It was a ton of fun. Let's talk about what's happened to you in the last few years. You've already been through a lot of rough stuff with by some predispositions to some health stuff. And then how'd you end up getting... Two jabs, right? Two Moderna, is that it? I got two Moderna jabs. So I got one, I think I looked up the dates the other day. One was on April 4th and one was on May 3rd of 2021. Um, And that's where it all started. It actually didn't really start until a couple of weeks later. I had a delayed reaction. Did nothing happen to you after the first one? Nothing. Well, so nothing happened after the first one. We thought both of my reactions happened after the second vaccine. But if you look at the number of days between my initial reaction and my second reaction, they were spaced apart the exact same number of days as my first shot and my second shot. Okay. Tell me that in different words. So there were like 28 days from when I got the first shot to when I got the second shot. And then, so even though my initial reaction didn't happen until after my second shot. 
my first reaction to my second reaction were 28 days apart. Yeah, that really makes you wonder if whatever the mechanism of action is, is built to have a delayed adverse event. Yeah. It makes me, that's what it makes me wonder. Like, you know, people think, I think a lot of people who have adverse events to the vaccines think that if you don't fall down in a seizure right after it, then nothing else is related. Have you noticed that? Oh, absolutely. It took a long time for like my, my peers and my doctors and even several of my, my in-laws, my immediate family saw it immediately, but my in-laws, it took them a long time to be willing to say, okay, yeah, likely what happened to you was caused by the vaccine despite the delay. So I don't think you were, I shouldn't say what you think, I should ask you what you think, but I don't, I don't think you could have been too excited about getting the vaccine because you were following me on Facebook. You have fallen off of social media since then and you say that you're much happier without it. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you on that. We all can see the reasons why we might be happier off of social media. But you were following me. I remember you engaging on my post. And then when I, I can't remember if I heard from someone else that you were very sick. No, I saw you on Facebook in a hospital bed. Yeah. And I think I, I think I texted your dad and asked to be connected to you. And and so we started talking and you, I was going to put on these two events in Utah called Utah's vaccine injured speak. We had the location set up and everything. And the problem I was having with not just you, but lots of other people were concern about the reaction of the community. Can you tell me more about that? Like what, what made you concerned? What had happened that made you concerned that people would, what, not believe you, be mad at you? So a lot of, of it was, it was combined factors of, I was, I had been working as an EMT before I was working in the medical field. Um, I stepped away from that job because of the drama of the medical field, went into something completely unrelated when I got the vaccine. Um, Like you said, I was following you. I was not happy about getting the vaccine. I didn't want to do it. I was pressured into it by my work and my extended family and just felt felt like I was in a place where I no longer had the option to say no. And I justified it in my own mind by saying, you know what, like this vaccine, it probably won't do anything to help me. I don't believe it does anything to help anyone. But at that point I felt like, but most likely it's not going to hurt me either. Um, so I went ahead and got it. And then my, my like reactions, everything after that, um, going from there, the reason I was more hesitant to speak out was I had decided to step back into the medical field. And I wasn't sure how much I could say and still keep my licenses intact so I could continue to work. My husband was worried about just the reaction of his peers and friends and his family. Um, and then just the social implications of it all. There, there is that fear of people are going to believe me. What if someone comes after me and like tries to sue me for saying, Oh, like the CDC is recommending this. You're pushing this. What you're pushing is dangerous, but I followed your advice. Now I want to hold you accountable for it. So all of those things were things that my husband and I were thinking when we ultimately made the decision right now is not the time for me to talk about this in a public way. Yeah. I think I was trying to do those events last April 
And I, and I canceled them because I was getting so much, even from people very seriously injured, people were just like, I don't want to deal with the public lashback. And I, I kind of like have to go back to when I was vaccine injured and realize that I didn't talk about it to people. I didn't tell people that it was a flu vaccine. That is why I was barely functioning. Plus I didn't even tell people I was barely functioning because I was feeling shame about it, which Mm -hmm. I look back now and I just want to fix that for everybody else who might be feeling like that. Do you feel like you kind of have to like soldier on and fake like you're fine? Fake the phone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And even now, like I've had this six times where I've been hospitalized six different times that that's happened. I work in a doctor's office. I've had every time I've been hospitalized, it's been because I tried to hide what I was feeling and what extreme I was feeling it to. I'd push myself too hard at work. It would lead to me passing out at work, at which point the doctor I work for would say, oh, order an EKG on her. What's her blood pressure doing? What's going on with her heart? And then from there, he'd say, oh, look, she's got an inverted T wave. Oh, look, her QT signal is prolonged. Oh, her blood pressure is crashing rapidly. She's going to go into shock. We need to get her to an emergency room. Um, And it would be because I like still feel like I can't just listen to my body because I need to just push on because I don't want people to like judge me for having a vaccine reaction. And I know on a conscious level, that's really stupid, but like just because of the social pressure and like the subconscious feelings about it, it's really hard to break out of that habit cycle. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on a young mom anyway? Like you're trying to be like, a, a good a good mom by modern standards, like 16 ways from Sunday. And you're always worried about the things you didn't do well or the things you meant to get to and you didn't play on the floor with your kids today or you didn't read them a book today or you meant to take them to the park and you just feel like crap. So you don't. Do you feel like there's a ton of pressure on young moms anyway? And then you just keep thinking, oh, I'll just cross the hump here any minute or how was that for you? Absolutely. That that definitely comes into play a lot. And that's vaccine injury aside, that's just part of where we live, especially, I mean, it's been less stressful for me since I've stepped away from social media. It's been a year and a couple months since I've been on social media at all. But I remember, especially like when I was active on social media, I'd be like, oh, okay, I need to like take my kids to the park, not only so they can play at the park, but so I can like post pictures and prove that I took my kids to the park. Girl, you were acting like being in the hospital was fun. Like, look at the treats they gave me. I was just like, wow, Charity's doing really well. And then, I, you know, you have to remind yourself, like people try to put their best foot forward on social media because it's just what people do. Everybody puts their happy face on, but it couldn't have been fun for you. Literally, you made it look fun to be in the hospital. You know that, right? (laughs) I don't know that. I didn't realize I made it look fun because I definitely felt like I was like, Wow, I feel like I haven't posted a single thing on social media in four months that wasn't a complaint. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad you perceived it as fun, I think, because then I feel like maybe people weren't like, wow, this girl's the most negative, complaining human being I've ever met in my life. But well, and this is, you know, we're kind of dancing around the whole Utah topic, but Utah culture, I don't do you know that it's the most prescribed antidepressant state in the country? 
Yeah, I do know that it's, and I know like a lot of it is just because of the culture, but there's also the fact that higher elevation can lead to signs of depression and you're at an an ideal solar zenith, which causes everyone to have a vitamin D deficiency, which also contributes to depression. And just the diet here, I mean, I don't want to say anything against a large church in the area, but because no one feels like they have other releases, everyone turns to sugar because it's the one addiction that's approved, which just kills people's nutrition, which ends up leading to health problems, which leads to more depression. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, but I always make, you know, friendly jokes. Okay. Remember most of my family is LDS and I raise my children LDS and I think that I mean, I still am LDS. I still go to church on Sundays, but I also recognize that that's like in a culture where everyone turns to sugar for stress, it's going to lead to those health problems that lead to more depression. Yeah. Because everything else is banned. And if people don't know this, the, you might call them Mormons. They'd prefer not to be called Mormons, but the LDS church or church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, you can't have coffee. You can't have alcohol. You can't have cigarettes. It's the healthiest population in the country. But I've never heard anybody else say that out loud, but that's my joke that I make is that, so they make up for it with sugar, sugar, sugar. (laughs) Cause it's not banned. I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels that way though. (laughs) Well, and still, still the healthiest culture, because when you get rid of tobacco and booze, and I don't, I don't know that coffee is necessarily killing people, but you know, we're probably all better off without stimulus. High amounts of caffeine that most of the country consumes probably are not phenomenal for you, but but there are also absolutely worse things than caffeine. Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, is that um, because the word of wisdom, which is LDS scripture, um, it it forbids coffee, but it doesn't say anything about from the 1830s about Rockstar or diet Pepsi. And so there's a, there's a lot of diet Pepsi and rock stars being drunk in Utah. I don't, I don't think any less than anywhere else. Yeah. That's probably very true. Okay. Let's go back to your job for a minute. So part you've described a very multifactorial set of reasons why you did it, even though you'd rather not, and you weren't particularly scared of COVID, correct? Yeah. I was not scared of COVID at all. We, we suspected we had it really early on my Dad had gone to the Consumer Electronics Show down in Las Vegas early in 2020, um, right after, right as things were starting to get crazy. And he came home, and there were several people from international populations there. And he thinks he was likely exposed to it at CES. He brought it home. Everyone in the family got sick. We all had a cold. We all, three of the brothers ended up, there's seven of the kids, three of the brothers ended up going into the doctor and they're told, oh, it's not flu. Oh, it's not strep. You probably just have some unknown respiratory virus. And this was before it hit the media. It was 24 seven. Yes. Um, And then after about a week, we were all fine. And then a couple of weeks later, like everyone started freaking out about COVID. And that's when the media coverage started being 24 seven. And at that point we were like, we kind of put two and two together and we're like, Oh, that upper respiratory virus that all of us had, that we had no idea what it was. That was probably COVID. Yeah. And, And so when we realized that like, likely we had had it and we were fine after about a week and it was no big deal. We were just like, there is no point 
to be afraid of something that's not any worse than the average cold. Well, and especially since, have you not had it since? Because it's not, Uh, if you haven't, it's not because of your vaccines, because it's now completely proven that the vaccines did not prove, did not prevent infection. They did not prevent hospitalization and they did not prevent deaths. I mean, that's not even, that's not even, um, controversial anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people who probably believe it, but not in the science community now knows that so yeah. much evidence. So you did. Yeah. So did we have it. had COVID since then. The only reason we know is because I am not able to get boosters for work. Anytime I have signs of a sore throat or cough, I have to take a COVID test. If I test positive, I have to wear a mask. If I test negative, I can just keep working as is. Um, so I've confirmed that I've had COVID like four times now. Um, I don't care that I've had it. I, I have been, been sick for more than like two days. And most of the time it's like a mild sore throat for two days and then I'm better. But it kind of makes sense if you think about how viruses multiply. A virus wants to survive. Um, so with viral replication, with every mutation it gets, it will be better and better and better at infected pe- infecting people and worse and worse and worse at making people sick. Um, so it makes sense that, okay, every time it multiplies, it's easier for me to get it. Okay. Every time it multiplies, it's not going to make me as sick as the time before. Well, and it's actually a testament to the fact that you had a strong immune system that you didn't get super, super sick. You know, like we heard about people getting sick for weeks and, you know, I mean, I was pretty sick for a week and a half and then another week of getting my energy back. Um, but I'm, you know, twice as old as you are. So I want to put a, a finer point on a couple of things. One is the kicker with you getting the jabs because your job was pressuring you. And then what did they do? So afterwards, because I had missed so much time from my job, um, because I was in the hospital, I was in the ICU for 18 days. I was hospitalized on two separate occasions before this happened. Um, they ended up letting me go because I had misused the leave of absence policy was their claim. And because I was not fulfilling my job duties, which I didn't feel like I was misusing the leave of absence policy. I was just trying to survive in a hospital bed. And naturally I was not fulfilling job duties because I wasn't working because I was in a hospital bed. Yeah. Because you were sick. And that's the other thing that I want to put a finer point on. I don't want to let it go past what we just talked about that. I haven't heard anyone talk about this last almost three years, which is what I told you that my experience was, and you kind of lit up like, yeah, that's it exactly, is how it's only now looking back that I realized I was sick for four years. I would sleep from 3 to 6 p.m. and it was my dirty little secret. My children will talk about, like my oldest two children remember it. They were. Yeah, I, I they think remember, I remember Emma and Kincaid saying things about it. Really? Yeah. Oh. Like they, they noticed it and just like as children would talk about it. So... That's really interesting. You say that. I didn't know that because um, I was in bed every day from three to six p.m. for years. I I can't remember the last time I had a nap. Not in not in the last fifteen years, twenty years. But I finally talked to my daughter Emma about it, and I I probably have a hard time even talking about it. Also, start crying. But I brought it up with her last year. She was here, and we were sitting out on the beach. And I said, "Do you remember that I was always in bed when you're a little girl?" And she said, "Of course I do. Of course I remember that." And the reason that's so emotional for me is that that's not the mom that you want to be. And I, I don't want to let it go past that. You seem to have resonated with that, that you just keep pretending like it's okay. And everybody should understand that and think about that because 
I actually think we have a lot more injured people around us who aren't even admitting it to themselves. They just think I'll get over this in a minute. What do yeah, you think about absolutely. that? Well, and it's, I see it because I mean, Charlie, my six-year-old, she's extraordinarily perceptive, especially for a six-year-old. But she has gotten to the point where if I start to have symptoms and if I, if I'm having like a day where I can't hide it and I feel like I just need to lay down on the couch, she'll come up to me and she'll ask me if I need to go to the hospital again. She said, oh, are you going to be in the hospital again? When's this going to happen? How long am I going to be at grandma's house? Like, and she, she's concerned about it because she realizes like when I get to the point that I am so tired that I can't hide it anymore it leads to a massive upheaval of the, her life and what she is used to as her standard. And it's, it's, it's not fair to her. It's not fair to my three-year-old. It's not fair to my husband, but it's, it's the reality of our situation. And I think if I didn't hide it as well, it would be even more traumatic for my kids. So even though I don't do it for the social pressure, I don't do it for the the social media appearances, because again, I'm off of that. I still try to hide it from my kids because I want to protect their innocence. Yeah. You want them to have a childhood and you want to be the mom that you, the whole time you're growing up as a young girl, you think you're going to be, everybody thinks they're going to be a perfect mom. And then no one is, but everyone does the best they can. And that makes them perfect. That's the plan. That's the plan is I'm going to be the first perfect mom alive. Um, But I really, really relate to the experience that you're going through because I was there for four years and I just kept thinking, I'm going to turn a corner here and I would try things here and there, but I was either pregnant or breastfeeding for several years and I couldn't do a detox. I really want you to do our detox because it's how I got well and um, here to serve you on that. But yeah. Um. So you lose your job, they make you get the vaccine or they don't, they didn't mandate it, but there was a lot of pressure. You told me at work from other people and bosses and your family travels a lot. And so they're like, Hey, we're whooping it up over here in Hawaii. And that, that is why, you know, my son Tennyson, that's why he got it because his girlfriend and her Delta flight attendant parents were going to Hawaii and he just really wanted to go. And he wasn't scared of COVID. He's the first person I knew who got COVID. So yeah. It's there's so many reasons why people were pressured. And I think all those of us who didn't get the job, like we're so, we're so traumatized too, because we've been gaslit and called conspiracy theorists more times than we can count. We've been kicked out of things. Um, Our friends have canceled us. Some of our family has canceled us. Here you are on the other side. What was your experience with, did people, or so you said maybe in-laws didn't necessarily believe you. Like what were you up against in terms of, did people in the medical profession that you have interacted with, try to blame it on something else. What happened? So the very first, well, so my very first initial reaction was like, it was June 18th of 2021 and, or no, it was June 24th. I mix up my dates a little bit. June 24th of 2021. I went in to an emergency room because I was feeling just really intense chest pain and my heart rate was through the roof. My regular resting heart rate is about 55 beats a minute. I tend to be a fairly athletic person. I grew up doing gymnastics. I love running. I do a lot of yoga and I try to stay reasonably healthy and fit. Um, so, but my blood or my pulse was sitting at like 120 beats a minute. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm anxious. I feel like I'm in pain. 
So I finally went into the emergency room and the emergency room doctor said, oh, I think you have anxiety. So here's some IV fluids, go home, get some sleep. If the pain's back like later tonight or tomorrow, come back in. So 10 hours later, I had fallen asleep and my Apple watch started alerting me. It's like, hey, you have an elevated heart rate and we're not detecting physical activity. Like, is this okay? Right? Like, it's just like vibrating, notifying me of it. Um, And I looked and I realized my heart rate had gone all the way up to 160 beats a minute while I was asleep. Um, And it was sitting at 160 beats a minute. So we went back into the emergency room. There was a doctor there. We still hadn't like figured out what was going on. Obviously there was a doctor there who said, well, we don't have a cardiologist on staff, but I need you to go to a hospital with a cardiologist. I'm not comfortable with you driving yourself. Like we're calling an ambulance to transfer you. So I got transferred down to a different hospital. When I got there, the emergency room doctor said, no, I think you have anxiety. And at that point, my I had to use the restroom. I left a urine sample, so they tested it. And like things like my tests were starting to come back a little bit weird. It's like, none of your markers are too concerning, but it looks like you might have a UTI because there's something going on with your urine. So here's an antibiotic and you can just go home. They didn't even let me talk to the cardiologist. They didn't ask if I was vaccinated. Um, They did ask if I had been tested for COVID. Um, They did test me for COVID. (laughs) It was negative. But so we ended up calling that first emergency room with the doctor who said, I really think you need to see a cardiologist. And we said, what would you have us do? What would your advice be? And she said, I want you to go up to St. Mark's Hospital and sit in the emergency room. I'm going to call them. I'm telling them that you are not to leave until you get an echocardiogram. At which point they did an echocardiogram. The cardiologist looked at it and his name was Dr. Zebrak. And he was wonderful. I really liked him. He admitted me and he said, he said, you know, I think you could have myocarditis as a result of the COVID vaccine you received. Um, and he was the very first doctor to say it. And then one of his colleagues who was also working at the hospital said, no, there's no way it's that. And so we had these two cardiologists who were like splitting the shifts who didn't agree with each other. The nursing staff there was way overworked. Their patient ratio was terrible. And I felt like I wasn't getting the care I needed. But my sister-in-law had connections at the University of Utah. So she ended up reaching out to her connections there and they got the cardiology department involved. And the head of the cardiology department took special interest in my case. So he had me picked up by an ambulance from St. Mark's where I was admitted and transferred over to the University of Utah where I was readmitted with a larger cardiology team, slightly better nurse to patient ratios to give me better care. And about half of the cardiology team there was like, oh yeah, this could totally be COVID vaccine related. About half the cardiology team was like, nah, it's probably just a virus. And they were completely torn on it. Um, None of them could agree on it. So once I was stable- Almost like, almost split down the middle, half of them are willing to admit this could be related to two vaccines half of them in denial. I I often wonder like, so medical doctors tend to think that they're scientists first, but we're actually all emotional creatures first. And when you got the vaccine yourself, I think there's very much a predisposition to want to believe the best about the vaccine. And it blinds us to evidence right in front of our face. Did you feel like that was going on? Um, So yeah, with some of them, yes. And some of them, no. But anyway, I got discharged from the U. I had a follow-up appointment. And then, like I said, I like had two reactions really close together. 
So just a couple of weeks later, I was playing with my kids that we were at a indoor bounce house place and my kids are running around and I was totally fine. And then one minute I was like, Oh, like I'm starting to feel chest pain again. And like five minutes later, I'm like, I'm starting to get dizzy. So I called my husband and I actually made him drive, like leave work, drive down there and pick me up. And he took me up to the emergency room up at the U because they were familiar with my case at that point, even though we live down in Utah County. Um, and when I got readmitted, I was extraordinarily hypotensive. My blood pressure got as low as 70 over palp, which if you don't know what that means, it means the top number, which is usually between like hundred to 120 was at 70 and palp means they couldn't hear it on the blood pressure cuff on the lower number. They just let it go until they could finally feel it again. Um, so they started putting me on pressures to try and bring up my blood pressure. They were putting like dumping fluid into me and I was going into shock and they called my family and to say goodbye to me because they didn't think I was going to make it through the night that night. And they finally got me stabilized enough that they were comfortable putting me into the ICU. At which point I was in the ICU for seven days before I got admitted or like discharged to a step down unit within the hospital where I stayed for a couple more days before I was admitted to home. And that was um, your first, that was your second That was my time? second reaction. So after that second reaction, the doctors at the U were like, okay, just based on the way these are, the spacing of the two reactions is spaced the same as the spacing of the two vaccines. There is a very, very high likelihood that this really was caused by the vaccine. Um, and at this point, all of my medical records have big red flashing lights on them functionally that say like, do not vaccinate, do not give COVID vaccine, like myocarditis from COVID vaccine. Um, I remember at one point I had gone into a doctor's office that wasn't my regular doctor and the medical assistant hadn't looked through my chart very closely. She's like, oh, do you want a COVID booster? And the doctor in the hallway had overheard her say that. And he like barged in the door and he opens the door. And he goes, don't even offer it to her. Um, so it was really nice knowing that like he was like protecting my health at that point, but he definitely wouldn't have done that if I hadn't had my history. Like I almost wish he would do that for every patient. Like don't even offer that to them anymore because that's how strongly I, like I feel about it. It's like people should not be getting this. It's poison going into their bodies and it's ruining lives. And I'm not the only one. You are not the only one. And Del Bigtree recently interviewed a young lady who, gosh, I don't think she's that much older than you. And she had a doctor report her to the different reporting mechanisms multiple times. And then she went and looked herself up and she was not in the Moderna, was not in the Moderna adverse events. Like despite multiple doctors reporting to multiple reporting systems, what's been your experience with reporting and what is Moderna doing for you? So Moderna is doing absolutely nothing for me. Um, They're doing zero for me. And I had tried to see if I could submit a claim. So there's the immunization injury like fund that is like sponsored by the United States government that says very clearly in several places that they do not compensate for COVID vaccine injuries and other vaccines. Here's the table of ones that we compensate for if it's this reaction in this time frame, and you report it to us by this amount of time. 
Um, but for COVID vaccines, they're very clear that they don't touch those because they were emergency authorized. So they're not covered by that program. Um, but there is another program where you can try to get it covered. But if you look through that system, I'll have to send you links to this. If you look through that system, not a single COVID vaccine injury that has been reported to them has been compensated, not even one. And Moderna can't be held liable for it because of the protections put on them by the government. Um, really, all I've got going for me is my parents have been super generous to let us live with them rent-free so we don't have to spend money on rent so we can afford my medical bills. Um, and my husband's work has been extraordinarily flexible with him, allowing him to take time off work and still be compensated for that time off work to be able to help take care of me and the kids when I need the extra help. Um, wow. So has someone submitted a VAERS report on you? I know they have. The problem with, if you look at VAERS frequently, they'll do it just with a patient ID number instead of a patient name to protect patient confidentiality. Um, so I know there have been several doctors who have submitted mine to VAERS, but I don't know how, I don't know if I have a way to verify like, okay, that case with that number is my claim, but I do know that Dr. Zebrak, the doctor who had initially thought, I think this is COVID vaccine related has been fairly involved with making sure other cases have been like actually caught on VAERS and officially there. So I have confidence that he has put in the legwork to make sure that mine is in there as properly as it can be. Well, I, I hope that you contact Dr. Zebrak and you ask him to look you up in VAERS yeah. because Moderna has done nothing to compensate a single vaccine injured Moderna product yeah. patient is what you're saying. But I will tell yeah. you that if a doctor reports you to VAERS, Moderna jumps right on that and they delete most yeah. of the records. I actually didn't know. I didn't actually know he was involved as heavily as he was until Robin, you put me in touch with Gopi the other day. And then Gopi said, Oh, I'm also working with this doctor, Dr. Dr. Zebrak. He's a cardiologist at BU. And I was or at St. Mark's and I was like, Oh, he's the doctor who very first said this for me. Um, and so I got re back in touch with him just, just in the last few days, actually. Yeah. Please let me know. And I'll put it out there to people who follow me, like what we learn, um, about whether your bears report even stuck because yeah. what I've been hearing and reading from a lot of other diff different injured people is that if they can find any reason to blame it on something that's not the vaccine, they find that reason. So yeah. the only people who are remaining in the VAERS reporting, even though I think there's like 180,000 adverse events um, and 30, close to 30, 32 to 35,000 deaths, they'll get rid of you in the VAERS report. Those are just the ones that are so undeniable yeah. that they have to leave them in there because, you know, if you have a seizure and die 10 minutes after the, the jab, then it's you know, patently obvious to everyone involved. No one's going to deny yeah. that. But when it's 28 days later, there's plausible deniability there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's why it took so long for the whole cardiology team to quote unquote buy into the idea that it was the vaccine that caused 
my myocarditis flare-ups in the first place was because there was that space for them to believe that it was deniable. Because it's hard to imagine how you could feel fine for 28 days and then boom, suddenly your heart hurts. By the way, my adopted son has a resting heart rate of 240 all the time. And he's going in for heart surgery in three days. In three days, he's going in for open heart surgery. He has has issues that you didn't have. He has a pacemaker because he was born to an alcoholic mother. So he was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. So he's had a pacemaker since he was 16. And then uh, I paid him money to watch a bunch of content and read it and call me and tell me 10 things he learned. And he still went and got the jobs. I don't think he, I don't think he understood what he, he had read. And so now he's having heart surgery, but he's, he's um, confident that it's going to fix everything and even get him off the meds that he's on. And I'm not going to rob him of his, uh, I'm certainly not going to be there to rob anybody of their hope, but I just felt like you're so at risk for heart damage and I tried. I really tried to get through. Yeah. So tell us, just see if you can do two minutes on your last four hospitalizations and what they're do, what what medications, what did they tell you your outcome prognosis is going to be? So my last four hospitalizations, all of them were really short, just one to two days, fortunately. They were very brief, and then we were able to manage them on an outpatient basis with really close follow-up with my doctor's. But it would just, I, it would start with some tachycardia that would be symptomatic. I'd get really lightheaded at work. I'd eventually, I, I mean, I've passed out in front of patients. Um, it was just really embarrassing, like to pass out in front of a patient. Um, and my, again, like I said, the doctor I work for, he'd have the rest of the team come run an EKG on me. Some of my blood pressure's at, determine if I'm hemodynamically stable or not eventually get me to the emergency room where they'd admit me for workup testing, make sure I wasn't going to go into a respiratory failure because the first two times, the reason I was hospitalized was so long because it was, I ended up in respiratory failure, but we realized that was because they were fluid overloading me. And because my heart was weak, I couldn't handle the fluid. So if they didn't fluid overload me, I wouldn't go into respiratory failure so I could manage it at home. Um, so then I'd go home, I'd manage my symptoms at home. It would take me a couple of weeks to get feeling better, but I am, I would take steroids and immunosuppressants and I'm on a, it's called an HCN channel blocker. Basically it's the medication that's to help reduce the length of hospitalization in heart failure patients, um, who have elevated heart failure markers like their BNP and troponin. Um, and then I, like off and on as I need it, take a diuretic to help get fluid off my body. Um, I'm really careful about my diet. My cardiologist teases me that I'm the only cardiac patient that he says needs more sodium in their diet because my sodium and potassium levels have been chronically low. Um, So working on that electrolyte replacement is really challenging for me, but like, I don't know how to eat more sodium. Um, But so we, I do that and we get through it and I'm on the couch and I'm completely dysfunctional for a week and a half to two weeks every time. Um, Robin, I hadn't told you this before, but my very, I, well, maybe I mentioned it. My very most recent reaction, I was getting ready for my nursing school applications because I'm wanting to go to nursing school. And for those, I had to get my tetanus and flu shots. Um, I was told I was exempt from COVID boosters, but I had to get my tetanus and flu shot. So I did that on December 22nd. 
And then within 20 minutes, I could feel my heart racing again. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just my anxiety. So I took my anxiety medication just to try and calm myself down. Within four hours, I was going into hypotensive shock again. My blood pressure was 85 over 35. And my doctor was like, we're sorry, you need to go to the hospital. Like, we can't manage this just like within this family practice office. Um, And that's when looking at my labs and looking at my EKG and looking at all the indications, it was determined like, okay, yes, like you have your myocarditis back. We can hear a rub. Let's get an MRI. Let's put you back on those immunosuppressants. Let's put you back on those steroids. Let's put you back on the diuretic. Um, Let's increase your heart failure medication. Um, You aren't allowed to exercise for minimum three months. At three months, we'll do another MRI. We'll see if there's any permanent scarring in your heart, at which point we'll determine if you're allowed to exercise again or not, Um, which is really hard for me to not exercise for so long. You were a cheerleader. Yeah. And it's like my favorite stress relief. Um, so like, and their theory is that like, yes, those reactions were caused by the tetanus and the flu shot, but they think the damage from the COVID shot made it so my body couldn't handle the insult of those anymore because I had gotten tetanus shots and flu shots as a child and never had a reaction to them at that point in my life which is why I didn't fight hard to not get them for nursing school. Instead of trying to jump through the hoops, I just said, I haven't had a problem with these before. Let's just get it over with. Jump through the hoops. And I think she means, you actually did tell me this. um, You mean getting exemptions. Um, And I said, and I said to you, well, just so you know, it's the flu. It's the flu vaccine that kicked my butt. Um, that's, that's why my children had a completely non-functional mom. And, you know, and part of what's so embarrassing about it is like, nobody else is talking about it. And so I just thought I was the only one. And it took me quite a long time to realize, look, I'm not getting better here. It took me a long time to realize that it happened right when I got that vaccine, I got sick 10 times that winter and I'd never been sick five times or three times in a winter. I just, you know, might get sick once a year, like most anyway. So my point is. I will send you a book if you will read it and I'll even show you the different books that I read just for the sake of your children too and you. But when I was injured and then Cade was in and out of hospitals, emergency rooms, doctor's offices, his blood oxygen saturation would get down to 85, life-threatening asthma, up all night with asthma after his MMR job. Um, And I still didn't quite figured out. I just thought it was some weird thing that happened. I was very, as a young mom, right. Then I gave Emma the job and boom, same thing happened to her. And so I was done, but I didn't know why yet. I just knew, Oh, this is how this happened. The same thing happened with Kate. So I got some books and they are very well referenced. And if you want one, I will buy you one and ship it to you. Um, one of them is by Dr. is by Neil Z Miller. And the other one is by Dr. Uh-huh. Randall Neustadter. And both of them go through the evidence. Dr. Neustadter goes through each jab one at a time. And it's very, very objective. He doesn't get emotionally riled about it at all. But there is so much data. Big fat books with hundreds of references have been published about how much more risk we have from taking these vaccines than we do from these childhood illnesses that maybe like four people a year die of in the United States. Um, tetanus is, it's not a thing. The vaccine does not prevent it. So 
I'm just telling you all this because if you're willing to learn more, people listening might learn more. Maybe this will be passed on to someone's child who it makes a difference for their their granddaughter. You know, we're just trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. And if people want to call me anti-vax, they totally can. I really don't care. The one other thing that I'll add on your comment about the tetanus vaccine is so I don't know if you know this, but at my my old job, I made tetanus immunoglobulin, which is the medication used to treat patients who get lockjaw. Really? Um, so I used to make that. And in my time working on the production of that, I learned a lot about tetanus. Um, and there has never once in all of medical literature been a case of someone who has even had one tetanus vaccine as a baby, like ever once, even in, in their life, if they never got a second booster ever in their life, dying of lockjaw, not even one. And nobody dies so, at the age of 50 from tetanus either. So tetanus or yeah. lockjaw, like it, it doesn't happen. And so here we are vaccinating children against tetanus when, you know, back when they were saying get another tetanus shot every 10 years for the rest of your life. Well, but you got to realize that when they said that smallpox and polio went away, they, they thought then that if you get it once you had lifetime immunity. Well, now they know you don't. And that's why we have to keep getting more and more and more vaccines. Well, if the polio vaccine and the smallpox vaccine got rid of those two diseases, but everybody got only one, that's actually only one of the arguments against the fact that the polio and smallpox vaccine did not eradicate those two diseases. In fact, if I were to pick the shortest thing that I can say in one sentence to disabuse people of that mythology, it is this. Polio and smallpox disappeared in non-immunizing countries faster than in immunizing countries. So whole books have been written about this. We won't cover that subject except to say that it's sanitation and better nutrition and refrigeration and you know plumbing that goes under your house instead of people using a bucket. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to know about vaccines. Not too many people are that interested in it. And it usually takes sort of what um, a doctor friend of mine calls the divine tap on the shoulder. You have now had the divine tap on the shoulder. My guess is that God has some big things in store for you and they might involve you helping educate others. It might involve you intervening and not giving some pharma injection that's going to hurt one of your children. Um, and maybe you and I had to lay on the railroad tracks for whatever we're, we're a vehicle for to, to get, to get through. I thought I got so sick so that I would have to get health, get healthy. And then that helped my children get well. Then I realized I had a much bigger mission than that. And the whole mission has just gotten so very big that I feel very, very blessed today. Today I interviewed Sheree Romney, who is the mother of the six foot nine basketball player. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I'm familiar with their situation. I've never spoken to her myself, but I'm familiar with who they are. Yeah, I I was interviewing her and he's never granted an interview before, but he kept piping up. And so finally she was like, Everest, do you want, he was in a hospital bed. He's hospitalized right now. Um, he has blood clots in his lungs and he's done with basketball. They, She said that right in front of him. I was like, are we going to talk about this with Everest sitting right there? But he knows. So she turned she turned the phone to him where I was interviewing her and he was a big part of the interview and he had, he had things he wanted to say and he wanted to share in the interview, even though he's literally never done one in the almost two years now since his injury. And it just came out of my mouth. I said, you have a big career ahead of you as a coach. Yep. And I think he brightened, but it occurred to me, it's, 
it, whatever we're going through right now, Charity, like it's not the end of the world. I can't believe that I was in bed for four years. But like you said, you you hanging out with my kids, they told you our mom's in bed all the time. Like that was their normal. That was their normal. They just know, hey, 3 p.m., we're in the room at the end of the hall with a stack of books. I mean, I try to like make myself feel better by saying, well, my kids are all really good readers and writers because I would give them little homework assignments and give them big stack of books. And they always had a stack of library books, but yeah, I had to my six-year-old is reading Harry Potter right now. And I was like, six-year-olds aren't mature enough to read Harry Potter, but she's reading Harry Potter because she reads because I'm exhausted all the time. Yeah. Well, so. everybody's, everybody is tasked right now with pray, praying for Charity Demas. Please write her name down. Please focus intention on her if you're not a prayer, but I hope you are a prayer. And I hope that you'll pray for Charity Demas and her family because they have been through hell and they're still slogging through it. And I, I think everyone appreciates you being willing to tell your story, Charity, because there's too many people not willing to tell, tell their story. I understand why. I understand why. I lied to myself through that whole four years and didn't want anybody else to know either. And in fact, I've been being, I've been accused of being a liar by people who didn't know me back then. Cause they're like, well, if you were in bed for four years, we would know about it. Well, Oh, okay. Except that it was my secret that I did everything to protect. I mean, you are not in my house, but you can ask, like you said, I mean, you just popped out without, didn't even know that you said Kincaid and Emma would talk about how our mom's always in bed. So, you know, now, now we're talking about it and I'm completely humiliated to start talking about it. In fact, a lot of people know that's how I, I, that I, that hundreds of thousands of people I see it 2 million visitors a year on the green smoothie girl page. And so millions of people actually know my story that I was very, very sick in my late twenties and early thirties. It wasn't until this whole COVID vaccine thing started that I told everybody why, why I was so sick. No one asked me, you know why it's because it's really normal. It, being sick is normal. Now it's not normal, but it's, yeah. it's common. And so no, nobody even ever asked me why I didn't even realize that until I finally started talking about it. I was like, you know what? People want to yell at me and say vaccines are safe and effective and the vaccines eradicated polio and smallpox, mic drop, and all the things that they say. I don't even care anymore. There's now six month olds being given the same vaccine you got. And, and it did that to a healthy former cheerleader, gymnast, active young mom. And so let's all pray for her. Um, I I don't know if I told you that, that Tennyson was having pain. And it's, and of course I'm panic stricken and I got a couple thousand people to pray for him on Facebook. And if you were one of them, I just want to tell you, thank you. Please include Tennyson, Tennyson in your prayers as well. But, um, a couple thousand people prayed for him and he hasn't had the heart pain since that day. I was about three and a half weeks ago. So let's all put it together for charity too. And I think you have an amazing life and mission in front of you. I'm not surprised that you're attracted to the medical field. You're going to be a blessing to many and you just let me know when you want that book and I'll send it to you, but it might be a good idea just for your, your ongoing parenting to learn more about the other vaccines, because as it turns out, most of those childhood diseases, oh, by the way, I didn't vaccinate my youngest two whatsoever. Ooh, there's another dirty little secret. And there was never an outbreak of pertussis or rubella or any of measles, mumps, and there was never an outbreak because that was my deal with the health department is when you go and you get those exemptions for your kids, which I did after Emma got her 
first set of shots and I was like, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden she's covered in eczema and she has asthma and I'm having to put her on albuterol and they want her on steroids and and she's getting sick all the time after her MMR. I was like, oh, uh-uh, nope, not doing this anymore. But then every time they would change schools, because your, your parents and I are, are charter school co-founders, the, the first charter school, just to be truthful, I was the first PTO president. Okay. I wasn't a founder of that one, but then we were found co-founders of- and Charlie's actually at that school now. So that's where Is Charlie they? goes. Yeah. Uh, she, she, your daughter. And, yeah, that's where she that's, goes now. So that's actually really fun because- um, you were in the inaugural class and it it was Utah's first charter school. I mean, there's another charter school that opened at the same time, but you went to Utah's first charter school that your mom and dad and I were heavily involved in. And my children put their little uniforms on and went to that school and they took green smoothies to school. And I'm sure everyone made fun of them. Then I figured out that they weren't really drinking them. So that ended there. But now, now then I would, then I would just like have them have it at home so I could watch them drink it. <laughs> so my anyway. I think it's funny because my kids like ask for them. They they call them Hulk smoothies because they're green like the Hulk, right? Well that's because that's because I went to your mom's house and I taught her smoothies and she I think I can't remember if she like wanted you guys to not be in the room. But your mom you if you make your mom's smoothies you make way better smoothies than than I do because I make super hardcore smoothies that oh. nobody likes. My husband won't drink them, but my kids will. <laughs> well, if your husband ever has a health crisis, he knows that that's when they start doing it is when they get that divine tap on the shoulder. So let's hope that let's hope that never happens to him. But it, yeah, you know, absolutely. But my kids just don't know any different. They just think what I make is what a smoothie is. Right. Well, and that's the beauty of starting them young. And so I hope a mother hears this or a grandma hears this and gives it to their daughter. And, and they realize like, because I, I remember when I was trying to get myself well, um, giving a green smoothie to, t- to, uh, Kincaid is I'd get myself well. And I didn't really give it to him. I was drinking it myself. Cause I would never imagine in a million years that a little kid would drink a green smoothie. And I, it was like my first time anyway. And he came up and he was like, can I have some? And I was like, he would never drink this. And, and I actually had this like genius idea in my head. I was like, no, it's mommy's, even though I totally did like, of course, I want him to drink yeah. spinach and sprouts, right? That's the reverse. So, that's the reverse psychology, right? Because that's my background. So I was like, it was reverse psychology. So I was like, no, it's mommy. So I toyed with him a little bit, and he's like, please. And I said, you can have just a little bit. And he, that kid sat there and slurped a big smoothie full of sprouts and spinach to the bottom of the cup, and that was when the light bulb went off over my head, and I was like, this is all in my head that I think all he wants to eat is chicken nuggets and popsicles. That's because what, that's what I'm feeding him. I could be feeding him the stuff that I'm feeding myself to get well. So I, I made fun of my, my little Theo, he's three, about two weeks ago, I caught him breaking into the refrigerator to steal raw broccoli. And he was eating it, like standing in the fridge with the door open in the drawer, like eating raw broccoli out of the drawer. And I was like, Theo, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. Like he was like totally like guilty eyes. And I was like, I'm so proud of him right now. Yeah. It just act really bugged, just act really annoyed and, and ban him like, from the like, broccoli drawer. Food. Like we only eat it. Like you have to eat at mealtimes. If you're hungry, let me know. But like, do you want broccoli with dinner tonight? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, let's make broccoli with dinner tonight. Well, I think we can safely say that Theo is not a super taster. That's a, that's a thing. Apparently the super tasters can't stand broccoli. I might, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'll eat anything healthy, but I will say broccoli is my least favorite food. 
But um, I'm glad you got one like Emma, because that was Emma. She'd slurp up the broccoli, whatever I put in front of her, she'd just vacuum vacuum it up. So it's, that's good. That's a blessing in your life. And uh, that's that's a way to get well, too, is to just be grateful for all these cool little weird things that happen in our path. And and Charity, I'm I'm so grateful that you came on to talk about your story. Please give us updates. Is there anything we can do for you um, besides pray for you? Do you have a, um, a fundraiser link or anything? Uh, I don't right now. I just, you know, positive thoughts, make sure you're sharing the story. Let, let people know, like, I think the, the best thing that you can do to make me feel, feel at least validated in my experiences, share my story with other people. Um, I'm not, I'm not looking for handouts from anyone. I'm not looking to gain anything from this. I just want people to know like what the risks are and be aware of it. And also be, be more patient with the people in your life who say that they are experiencing something because, because at this point, people who are going to get vaccinated have been vaccinated and the people who aren't, aren't, but that doesn't mean that people are as patient with their neighbors and their friends and their family members as they should be when they say they're feeling something. And it's inconvenient to hear that they're feeling that way. And it's inconvenient to try and take care of them. So just be aware that People are having reactions to this and they are very real and they need your love and support just as much as I need the love and support of people in my life. That is a perfect note to end on. So with that, Charity, keep me, keep me up to speed on what's going on with you and how we can serve. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Bye everyone. Bye.